You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. This week, we're going to focus on prospects. It is September. The rosters have expanded. We're seeing a ton of this year's top prospects already in the big leagues. Here to tell us everything we need to know, Jim Callis, Senior Prospect Writer for MLB.com, MLBPipeline.com. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time with us. Oh, glad to be here. Jim, I think this is, correct me if I'm wrong, probably a, a very fun year for you because we've seen just a ton of top prospects coming up. I looked back at last year's you know, end-of-season top 100 list, and of the top 15, it looks like 12 of them are already in the big leagues right now. Big names like Lindor and Syndergaard and Bryant and Correa. Do you think this is just a better-than-usual class or a, a change in approach about how quickly teams are promoting their young players? Um, I think it's just kind of a perfect storm, to be honest with you. I, I think you don't usually see this many guys arriving at the same time, and I do think... It was a deep class. I, I know from prospect running for 25 years, you know, most people I think use the definition of prospect is pretty similar to the definition of rookie, you know, whether the guys have too much playing time. At MLB Pipeline, we, we factor in service time. When I was at Baseball America, we did not. Um, at MLB Pipeline, we don't consider a lot of the older Cubans or Japanese players prospects in the Baseball America. When I was there, we did. But all that said, you know, a lot of times how good a crop looks at a specific moment depends on how many guys went over those thresholds or not. And it was just kind of a, like I said, a perfect storm. I know coming into the year, it seemed like a highly unusual number of the guys at the top of our, our pipeline list were in AAA but not the majors. And they just started to arrive. And we, I think we saw over a span of three or four days in April, Chris Bryant, and Carlos Rodon and Addison Russell all came up. And then there was a time in, uh, it's all a blur now, but there was a time, I want to say it was June or July, maybe it was June, where it was Buxton and Lindor and maybe Syndergaard. I know there was another top guy who came up at the same time. It just seems like they keep coming and coming and coming. And, and this year it also seems like there's been a number of teams that have been surprise contenders where I don't know if the Cubs, I don't know if we thought they'd be this good. We thought the Cubs would be better and maybe contend. And we thought we'd see Chris Bryant, but you know, we saw Addison Russell and Kyle Schwarber sooner than we thought because the Cubs were winning. With the Twins contending, we saw Buxton and Snow, I think, sooner than we thought after they missed a lot of last year with injuries. So I think it was a talented crop, and I just think it so happened that a lot of these guys were close but not quite ready at the beginning of the year, and they'll probably be why. I don't remember another year with as many outstanding debuts as this one, and I know Jonathan Mayo and I have, I have, have looked at our kind of current top 100 list, and I don't think it's quite as impressive <laughs> as the one coming into the year. So I, don't, I definitely don't think we'll see this again in 2016, at least. Well, you just mentioned impressive debuts, and, and that's, I think, interesting. Has it struck you that the players coming up, these young players, there's been so many of them who coming up and just really having immediate impacts. I mean, we're always telling people you can't expect this guy to come up and be great. There's an adjustment period. Mike Trout struggled at first. You know, Gregory Polanco had that first great week, and then he struggled. But you look at guys like Correa, Schwarber, Bryant Syndergaard, all these guys, uh, and they've really had an immediate impact. Do you think that there's just a different type of prospect that these guys are, or they're more prepared for being in the minor leagues, or is this just like a good year for that kind of thing? I think it's more of a good year because I think prospects are different. I think in general exactly what you said, Mike, that – that a lot of times the, the prospects, even the good prospects, come up and struggle at first. I mean, that's just typical. I mean, making that final jump, you know, can be difficult. But, you know, Francisco Lindor's also come up and hit. And Carlos Correa, you know, who you mentioned, has been, you know, pretty much the, the best shortstop in baseball. He's probably the best shortstop in baseball already. And Chris Bryant isn't just the, you know, the, the, I think the front runner for National League Rookie of the Year. I mean, he's 
one of the best players in baseball already. Uh, you know, on and on. But, yeah, now that's, it's, it's been really impressive to me, too, how many of these guys, not just seeing these guys get to the big leagues, but they've been able to have an impact right away. Now, two of the guys who have not made it up yet both play for the Dodgers, or both will play for the Dodgers. Uh, Corey Seager, who's a shortstop, and uh, Julio Urias, who everybody knows as being uh, basically one of the youngest and most impressive prospects in the minors. They're not up yet. There's rumors that both could make it up in September. What do you see happening there? Well, there's also rumors that they might not either because, um, you know, Seager, I don't think either guy has to be on the 40-man roster till after next season. Um, and, and I'll be curious to see what happens. I mean, you know, they, as fans probably know, you know, yes, you, the rosters expand on September 1st, but the season this year doesn't end until September 7th. And, you know, I, I think also that AAA Oklahoma City affiliate for the Dodgers is, is a new affiliate this year, so they may leave the guys down there for the playoffs and call them up late. Uh, if I were running the Dodgers, and I'm not, I, I would have had to both these guys up already. I, I think they both should be on the playoff roster, to be honest with you. I mean, Seager's the best prospect currently in the minor leagues right now. Um, had a very good year in double A and triple A at age 21. Hit, hit 292 with 18 homers. Uh, he's got an ops of 827. I, I think he's definitely better than Jimmy Rollins at shortstop. Uh, Justin Turner has kind of started to fade in August. I think Corey Seager's probably better than Justin Turner right now, too. I, I don't understand. You know, why not call this guy up? You, know, the 40, you can always find spots on, on the 40-man roster. So to me, that shouldn't be a concern, even though you don't have to protect him this offseason. Why not call him up? Give them some playing time and find out. You know, I mean, if you're the Dodgers this year, you know, Mike, you know, with what, their payroll, with all the money they're spending, including guys on their teams, it's, it's over $300 million. Anything short of a World Series championship is a disappointing year for what they've spent. So why not find out if he can help? And the same thing with Urias. Now, with Urias, I'm not saying necessarily throw him in the starting rotation. You know, he presents a dilemma because he's, he's so good, so young. He's, he just turned 19 about three weeks ago. And he's always been, you know, well young. You know, he's, he's in AAA. He got promoted to AAA shortly after his 19th birthday. He's, he's dominated everywhere he's been. And they've avoided trying to rush him too quickly because they don't want to put too many innings on his arm at such a young age. And it's kind of similar to what the, the Mariners went through with Felix Hernandez, you know, about a decade ago. Now, the, the, the fortunate thing for the Dodgers is, is that because he had uh, elective eye surgery during the season, he only pitched 77 innings. So what I would do, and I even advocated this last year, um, and it's not just hindsight because I wrote about it at MLBPipeline.com, call him up and put him in the bullpen. You don't have to put a lot in. You know, I'm not saying throw him in the rotation, but why not let Urias pitch out of your bullpen, You know, give him six or seven outings in September, and if he looks good, add him to the playoff roster. I mean, last year their, their lack of a bullpen, especially from the left side, killed him in the playoffs. They aren't deep from the left side this year either. And you're talking about a lefty who can hit 96 with, with good life on his fastball, and he's got a tight curveball and a deceptive changeup. I mean, this guy, if you used him as a lefty specialist, I think he'd be he'd be dynamic in that role. So, very curious to see what the Dodgers do with both these guys, and you know, just in case people think, oh, you're, you know, he loves prospects, and that's why he wants these guys up. I mean, I'm realistic. A lot of prospects don't live up to their billing, but in this case, you know, the team that's basically win the World Series or bust, I don't know why you don't have these guys up to find out if they can help you in October, because I think they can. Yeah, and I think you might be right about Urias. Uh, I think the one issue in his way is that they called him up the other day uh, to AAA, and he walked the bases loaded in the first inning. Didn't really go well for him, but obviously, you know, that's just the first outing, and they've still got another week in the playoffs. Uh, we have to move on and talk about the Minnesota Twins, and I say that because I know that Twins fans always think that nobody focuses on them enough, but they've really got an interesting system. I mean, obviously, Miguel Sano, who was just today named the AL Rookie of the Month, has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he's got a 403 on base percentage, a 608 slugging percentage. Uh, if he had pushed this out for the entire season, he's on pace to hit 43 homers. He's got the fourth <laughs> highest exit velocity behind uh, Giancarlo Stanton, and Kyle Schwarber, uh, Miguel Cabrera. I think everybody knew, uh, Jimmy, in the, the minors that he could hit. Are you surprised at what we're seeing now? 
Um, a little bit, just because of what we were talking about before. You, you expect to see some guys, you know, struggle a bit when they get to the big leagues. I mean, he's always walked, but he's, you know, he, he struck out more than once a game, too. So, I mean, if you told me, one, I, I'm a little surprised. At the beginning of the season, if you'd asked me, will he be up this year, I, my answer would have been maybe. I didn't expect him to contend. He missed all of 2014. He he had hit for power but not for average and struck out a ton when he was in double-A the year before. And I would have suspected, you know, that maybe you'd see him spend most of the year in the minors, to be quite honest. Um, but for him to come up, I mean, he's actually hitting better in the majors than he did in double-A this year. Uh, he has been phenomenal. Um, and I think, you know, not that anybody forgot about him, but with him out last year recovering from Tommy John surgery, I think so. there was so much focus when you're talking about third-base prospects and power prospects, I mean, the two names you heard over and over again, and, and hey, I'm guilty of this too because I wrote about them over and over again, Chris Bryant, Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo, Chris Bryant, and people you know, forgot a little bit about Miguel Snow. Not that, I mean, I don't have our, our preseason rankings uh, right in front of me. Um, actually, I, I, I do have them in front of me. We had Miguel Snow as the 11th best prospect coming into the season. So, I mean, it wasn't like we buried him. But, you know, that was behind Russell. It was, I mean, behind Brian. It was behind Gallo. And, you know, the thing is, you know, while this guy didn't play in 2014, his power is, is, is in that same category. It's 80 power on the 2080 scouting scale. Um, did not expect him to come in and put up the, you know, 1,000-plus uh, ops in his first 50 games in the, in the major leagues. But, uh, you know, he's that kind of talent. It'll be interesting to see how, how all three of these guys play out in the long run. I, I'm not sure Sano sticks at third, but I don't think it matters a ton because I, I think that power makes him a star wherever he plays. Yeah, Sano's fascinating because he's got the highest strikeout rate in baseball right now at 36%, which is <laughs> crazy. It's more than a third of his plate appearances. He's got the highest batting average on balls in play uh, in major league history. I just looked this up about two hours ago. For a minimum of 200 plate appearances, no one has ever had a, a BABIP of 432, and that's what he does right now. So <laughs> I don't think that's going to stick. But listen to this quote. I like this a lot from him. He was talking to USA Today last year, and he said, I like looking at a lot of pitches. I don't like the swing in 0-0 counts. I don't feel confident. I prefer to hit with a strike on. I like getting to a full count. And I think that really says a lot about his plate discipline. And you don't really see that from a lot of guys, young guys coming up. They really want to be aggressive and make an impression. Uh, that's kind of rare, wouldn't you say, for a player like that? I would. And, you know, the thing is, yeah, he, he does strike out, but he does draw a lot of walks. I mean, he's got 33 walks in 50 big league games. Yeah, he's got 76 strikeouts to go with it as well. But, you know, the 33 walks, I mean, that's, that's a 100-walk pace. And, you know, he's going to strike out, but uh, I think you, you like what you see of his approach. I mean, and that's something, I mean, to touch on our guy we, we, we talked about a little bit earlier, Chris Bryant. I mean, that's what impressed me about Chris Bryant when he came up, is I've never seen a guy pitched around from day one in the big leagues like Chris Bryant. I mean, you know, he tore, I think he led the majors in home runs during spring training. You know, the, the book was out on this guy, that this guy was a tremendous power hitter, and guys pitched around him. And Chris Bryant, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think he hit, what, was it one home run in his first 20 games maybe? Or, or he won 18 games while the It took him a while before he started you know, hitting home runs, but it was basically because, hey, you aren't going to challenge me? Fine. I'll, I'll take the walks. You know, I'll work the deep counts. I'll take the walks. And then pitchers eventually realize, you know what, we, we, we can't just pitch, pitch around this guy all the time because he's going to, you know, we can't walk this guy every game. And then the power came in, you know, and Sano's had a nice balance of that, too. I mean, like you said, he's on pace for 43 homers, and, I mean, he's on pace for uh, doing quick math in my head. I'm going to say about 105 walks. 
I think the Twins would be thrilled <laughs> if he did that over the course of a full season. He, he's been extremely, extremely impressive. Now, the same year that the Twins signed uh, Sano, they also signed Max Kepler out of Germany as an outfielder. Took him six years to get to double A. He's had a lot of injuries. Uh, obviously, you know, as growing up in Germany, he doesn't have quite the same baseball pedigree you would growing up in the States. But he's now 22. He leads the double A Southern League with a, a 169 weighted runs created plus. Uh, is he the real deal? Do you think next year is too soon for him to be in the same outfield as Byron Buxton in Minnesota? Um, it depends what they want to do with the rest of their outfielders. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say opening day, but but I'll tell you what you have to like about Max Kepler is, I mean, he's walked more than he struck out in double-A, which is a huge sign. He's only got nine home runs there, but he's got, I think, 53 extra base hits, so the power's going to come, too. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he, this guy, you know, his parents were ballet dancers. He, he grew up in Germany and in Europe. And, you know, it's, it's not like you get the same baseball experience. It was going to take this guy some time. And even though it has taken him some time, He's still only 22 years old, so it's not like this guy's 25 or 26. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at, at the jump that Buxton and Snow made from AA this year, they, they, you can see Kepler in that lineup at some point next year, too. I would imagine he'll open the year in AAA, but, uh, you know, very, very impressive. I mean, he's been there. There have been a lot of nice development stories for the Twins this year. Now speaking of the Twins, they're one game out of the wild card right now, and uh, I'm just watching on Twitter. Twins fans are very unhappy that Jose Barrios, your number 23 prospect on the MLB pipeline.com list is still in the minor leagues he's got a 78 uh, to 13 strikeout to walk ratio in triple a 2.67 era twins pitching staff is obviously full of holes everybody wants him up twins haven't called him up why do you think that is and will we see him uh i don't understand it either to be honest with you it's funny a week ago i was tasked with writing a story who are the 10 best prospects who are likely to get called up in september and i put jose barrios on that list <laughs> and then yesterday uh, the story's not out yet i was tasked with writing a story of who are prospects who could help in September that we might not see. And I put him on that list, too, because a week <laughs> later now I'm not convinced they're going to call him up. Uh, I don't understand it. I mean, here's a team that's been, been frankly terrible for the last few years, contending out of nowhere. I think they're overachieving, but they're in contention. Nobody seems to want to run away with that American League wild card. And the rotation in August had a 5.47 ERA. I mean, they have a lot of holes in that rotation. You know, Barrios, as you mentioned, has pitched very well in AAA. He's leading the minor leagues in strikeouts. Um... I don't get it. I mean, the, the two concerns with him would be, A, he's not one of these guys because he's so young, you don't have to protect him on, on your 40-man roster until after the 2016 season, so you'd have to give up a 40-man spot a year ahead of time. Although, again, I understand how you don't want to do that if you don't have to, but, but there's always dead weight on 40-man rosters. Nobody ever has a 40-man roster with 40 studs on it. You, you can make room. B, he's, he's worked career-high 161 in the third innings, and I could see at age 21, you don't want to pile more innings on there. You know, if you put him in the big league rotation, then you're getting him up to 180, 190. If you make the playoffs, then you're going over 200. And I don't want to see him run into the ground either, but I just don't understand if you have a contender. He could have pitched some of these innings in the big leagues already. You have a contender that has holes in the rotation. He's got clearly better stuff than anybody in Minnesota's rotation. He throws strikes. It's not a case of, okay, it's great stuff, but he's figuring it out. This guy's ready to pitch in the big leagues. I don't understand it either. I do understand it from the workload standpoint, but I still think you could have managed that workload better and he could have pitched some of those innings in the big leagues already. And if they missed a wild card by a game or two and they look at how their starters pitched in the last two months of the season, I think they have only themselves to blame because it doesn't make sense to me. Now let's take a step back for a second. We're talking to Jim Callis, MLB.com prospect expert. Uh, and Jim, you've been doing this for a long time, and I think you'd probably agree that 
Pros uh, fans know more about prospects now than they ever have, and that's largely thanks to the internet and Twitter and MLB TV and everything. Do you look at that as a good thing because there's more interest, and you know that obviously helps uh, promote your job more, or kind of a negative thing almost because fans are, are more impatient? They've been hearing about these guys for three years, four years, five years. They want them now, even though that's not necessarily the best thing for player or team. I think it's a good thing. I think anything that creates interest in the sport is, is good for baseball. And I totally agree. I mean, I keep – I joke every once in a while. Yeah, I feel like I'm old man callous. I mean, when I started uh, – I mean, shoot, when I started covering this stuff, there, there was no internet. Um, when I worked, yeah, my first job out of, out of college was with Baseball America in, in December of 88, my first full-time job. And back then, I mean, we, we, they still print the stats. But, like, if you wanted minor league stats, you basically had to wait for your Baseball America to come in the mail every two weeks. I mean, there was no way to keep track of stuff. There was certainly no video. I mean, there were very few games. I mean, you might see an occasional college game on ESPN. There was certainly no way to watch minor league games uh, on TV with the draft. Basically, when I started, baseball would release the first round in order to the AP, and then they wouldn't. Nobody would knew what order the players were drafted in officially because they they were afraid that college coaches were recruiting based off the draft list. So you'd actually have the draft. I mean, not only was the draft not anywhere close to being televised, you didn't really know who was in the second round. You know, they, that was one of the things we did. Baseball America, so we, you know, Alan Simpson and, and and kind of led the team, and we try to dig that information out and print the draft list as early as we could. But uh, no, I think people are you know much more. On top of things, because there's so much more available. I mean, now, I mean, I, I can't imagine that there's a prospect that you can't find, dig up video somewhere on the Internet. You know, it might, it might be, you know, if it's a guy out this year's draft, okay, maybe it's high school video, but, I mean, you can watch games live on, on your computer, not just Major League, but Minor League. There's all kinds of analysis. There's all kinds of detailed stats. I, I think it's good. You know, maybe fans are more impatient because um, they want these guys to come up. Um, but, but, again, I, I think just, you know, anything that, that kind of you know, increases the passion of the game and has people interested in the game, I, I think that's good for baseball. Yeah, and I remember a couple years ago when Yuenna uh, Cespedes was a free agent, and there was a YouTube video floating around that was basically a hype video, and uh, that's probably the first time anybody had ever heard of him. Uh, Jim, I have a question for you. When you're building your rankings, do you take into account the teams that the players are on? And what I mean by that, you have some teams like the Giants who really create big leaguers out of guys who are just not highly regarded you know, as prospects like Matt Duffy and Joe Panic. Teams like Seattle, they don't really seem to develop. Milwaukee, maybe they don't develop as well. Uh, Cardinals obviously do very well. How much does that play into your, your scouting there? I'll be honest, not a lot because I, I guess when I'm you know, ranking prospects, I try to look at it, you know, just like I don't necessarily give a Rockies hitter extra credit because he's going to get to play in course field, that type of thing. You kind of look at how talented the player is, uh, or at least I do, how talented the player is, you know, regardless of the situation. Now, granted, you know, if you had, say, a giant pitcher and, you know, I guess the Mariners hitters have had trouble developing recently. If you had, like, a Giants hitter and a Mariners pitcher, uh, Giants pitcher and Mariners hitter kind of in the same area, I might give the Giants hitter an edge, but I try not to to place too much faith in that. Because, I mean, on that same token, I mean, you know, Kyle Crick's got a fantastic arm for the Giants, and he hasn't been able to figure out how to throw strikes, even though they've done a great job with a lot of pitchers. I mean, he's walked more than a guy per inning this year. So, you know, I don't think there's any hard and fast rules that, that Team A is good or bad at developing this kind of player. Yeah, you could kind of get yourself trapped if you start falling into, like, okay, they're, they're, you know, that's, I guess, one thing I've learned is that prospects, uh, there's no linear development there's no easy formula for saying okay this kind of player works or this kind doesn't or this team has this figured out and this team doesn't 
uh, it's you know I guess it's in the back of your mind with the teams, but but for me, not too much. Now, how would you if you had one if you had the opportunity to make one change to the draft slash the player acquisition system as far as amateurs go? Because there's been a couple issues, right? Like the Brady Aiken mess last year with the Astros. Uh, there a lot of noise that the international players are getting paid more than the drafted American players are. If you could do one thing to fix all that, what would it be? Would it be an international draft? Would it be something else? No, I don't think it'd be an international draft. If I can only fix one thing, if I can only change one <laughs> I'm thing, I'm sure you have a whole list. Actually, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's actually an easy answer. But if I can only, if, if the top of my list, the number one thing would be, is I would get rid of the current draft system of the the signing pools and the limits. And if you go five percent over your pool, you lose a first round pick. And if you went fifteen percent over your pool, you lose two first round picks. Uh, I'd get rid of all that. I would let teams spend on the draft what they wanted because I still think it's the most cost-effective way to build a team. And you look at some of these teams like the Royals and the Pirates and the Astros who have rebuilt through the draft by being able to spend what they wanted. Now, the Astros not so much being able to spend what they wanted, but under the new system they've had the number one pick. You know, They had it three years in a row, and this year they took the top five, so they've been able to spend a lot more than other teams. But I think if you had this current system in place – the, the, the Royals and Pirates would not be the successful teams they are today. So that would be the, the first thing I would do is I would get rid of this system where you're penalized for overspending, and I would let teams spend whatever they want on the draft. Jim, we're running out of time, so one final question for you. Every scout, I'm sure, has you know air quotes here, their guy, right? So if you could give us a name outside the top 50, maybe in the top 100, who's going to be a big riser, someone we're all going to know this time next year? Well, I'll give you two. They're, they're both pitchers. Um, who uh, aren't even, aren't in the top 100, um, and maybe they should be based on some late reports we're getting. But uh, with the Astros, Francis Martez, who they got in the Jared Cozart trade from the Marlins last year, uh, he's been he's touched 98 this year. His curveballs, you know, become a plus pitch. His changeups made strides. He's he's already reached Double A at age 19. He looks very impressive. And an even younger pitcher in another loaded farm system uh, would be would be with the Red Sox. Anderson Espinosa was a guy that they signed last year for $1.8 million. Uh, the plan was he'd make his debut this year in the Dominican Summer League, but he was so advanced they brought him over to the Gulf Coast League. Uh, he wound up, and Grant, you can't read too much into rookie ball stats, but it's just fun to look at these. He's got a 0.82 ERA, a 0.89 whip combined between two rookie teams, 61 to 12 straight at the walk ratio, only 17 years old. Uh, he's hit 98 with his fastball. He spins a tight curveball. He's got feel for changeup. He throws a lot of strikes. I think those are two pitchers who are both very young, who are, you know, could be in the middle of the top 100 prospects list uh, a year from now when we're talking about them. Well, excuse me. Well, I tell you what, we did not get through uh, all the notes I had taken, but just from following you on Twitter, Anderson Espinosa was on that list because I wanted to ask you about him, and you got too many ways, so I really appreciate that. Jim Callis, senior prospect writer for MLB.com and MLBpipeline.com does great work. Jim, thanks so much for taking some time with us. No, no, no problem. Great talking to you, Mike. All right, this has been the MLB.com StackCast podcast. Thanks to my guest, Jim Callis. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. See you next week.